Well, good morning. What an incredible worship set, huh? Thank you, everybody that was up here playing, youth and uh, the regular band. Um, thanks for leading us in worship. Uh, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. So if I haven't met you, uh, hello, and I'd love to actually uh, chat with you afterwards. So please stop me. Um, lots of familiar faces. I haven't seen you guys in a while. So great, great seeing everybody. Um, I missed this. I missed, uh, you know, I missed being with you guys. I missed um, worshiping. I said that at the night of worship that, you know, um, I was, for those of you who don't know, I was, I was out of the country for the last three weeks, and, and um, you know, listen, listening to worship music on your earbuds just, it just doesn't, it's not, it's not the same. It's different. It's intentionally different. It's, it, God intends it to be different. It intends, he intends us to encourage each other by hearing each other's voices and shouting praises to our God. So thank you, all of you, for um, being God's angelic choir, regardless of how you sound, because I guarantee you, I sound the worst. And that's why I said up front. Um, I'm just joking. That makes it awkward for people in the back, sorry. Um, so we're going through Isaiah. So hopefully, did you guys, if you didn't get one of these, raise your hand. Gene's going to be handing these out. These are just the book of Isaiah. These are free. You guys can take them with you. Um, we should have plenty of them. And they're basically note takers. So there's, a, there's like uh, some fancy little drawings in the middle of this and then blank pages. Um, we're going to go verse by verse through Isaiah. I'm just joking. It's going to take us forever to do that. So uh, the next eight weeks, we are going to hit wave tops, okay? So we're going to hit some things. Um, I'll tell you, we're going to go uh, chapter 1, chapter 5, 6, 8, 30, 40, 43, and 53. I think those are the, the, the pieces of the chapters that we're going to be hitting. So what that means is in between those is your turn. So when you guys are at home, I'm looking, like, dig in. Read through this on your own. Um, you're, you don't stick with the pacing that we're going to be preaching on Sunday because you'll never do it. But basically a chapter a day, okay, if my math serves me correctly, should be about right. You'll have a little bit of makeup at the end. Uh, or you can start off strong and get like a quick few chapters in and then pace yourself at one a week. But it's the book of Isaiah, okay? It is a challenging read. It, it, is, it is challenging. You're going to read words in there, and you're going to read allusions to strange people in strange places, and it's going to be somewhat difficult. And so what I want for this is for us to read through it and discover who God is, how he interacts and deals with the people of Israel, and, and by implication, how he deals with us, his emotions, his characteristics. That's what we're going to get to. And so you're going to read through a bunch of texts, and it's going to seem repetitive. It's going to seem strange. And then there's going to be this little gem in there, maybe a, a verse in the midst of 30, and you're going to go, that's cool. And I want you to underline it and keep track of it. And, it's, and what you're going to see is that it's, it's an amazing love letter from God to us. As, he, as, as uh, Isaiah prophesies the words of God, he doesn't, he doesn't just say one thing once and then leave it. He says it over and over again. It's kind of like, for those of you who are married in here uh, or have kids, when you say, I love you. You don't just say it once. You don't say it on your wedding day, and you're like, I said I love you. No, you say it over and over again. You say it in different ways. You say it during different interactions. And that's how 
we show each other our love, right? We show our kids our love when they disobey, and we show them disciplined grace and, and mercy, and right? It's different, okay? And so that's what we're going to be doing as we go through this. So I don't, don't get caught up when you're like, Man, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm bogging. My tires are just spinning out in the mud. And I don't feel like we're going anywhere. I think I already read this. Wait, did I read this chapter or did I read this chapter yesterday? Because it's going to seem repetitive. But there's going to be pieces in here that are going to be beautiful. And we're going to step through these and we're going to start off in chapter 1 this morning. So why, why are we reading Isaiah? Why are we doing this? Um, well, first, it's in the Bible, so that's why we read it. But, um, but why are we choosing to do it? So we just finished up a, a whole series on living a life on mission, right? That, that God rescued us and saved us so that we would then go and proclaim the gospel in, in the relationships that we have, uh, in every circumstance of our lives. He sent us. The person who sends you matters. It, it changes how you go. And we're going to try to get to know who this God is who sends us. That's, that's, a, that's the title of this, Isaiah, a God who sends us. Because as much as I love my children, which I do very much, if they ask me to go do something for them, I may or may not. It may be, like, I, I, I might do it. Maybe I should do this more, right? Um, but they go, hey, Daddy, can you do this or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah Maybe. If the general asks me to do something, it's different, right? I don't say, well, <laughs> if I have a chance this afternoon, sir, I'll get to it. It doesn't work like that. Why? Because it matters who is sending you. And so we're going to spend time looking at this God who sends us. What is he like? What are his characteristics? All right, so we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 1. You guys can look through this. I'm not going to do this because that's not where I did it in my notes, all right? So um, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. Actually, sorry, before we get there. Sorry. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And here, here's why as we, as we spend our time looking at God, looking at who he is, beholding his glory, we'll be changed. This is what he promises us. The more we're looking at him, the more we're spending our time, prioritizing our time, dwelling on God's word, praying to him, seeking him, we will be changed. That's a promise. It's a promise. And this is what, this is what Paul is saying when he says this uh, to the Corinthians. So, all right, Isaiah chapter 1. Let's get into some of the background of this. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. All right. These are prophecies of Isaiah, okay? He was a prophet that lived in Judah, okay? So let me give you some background here. Um, the, the, the nation of Israel split into two nations. Okay? And you'll hear him talk about both of these nations as we go through here. One of them is going to be Israel, and that's going to be referred to as the Northern Kingdom. So you'll, you'll hear that, uh, those names. And then you've got the Southern Kingdom, which is Judah. In large, Israel was bad and Judah was good. 
But that's not exactly the case, okay? Israel completely forsook God. And what we're going to find is in 722 B.C., the Assyrians are going to come in and basically destroy Israel and occupy the northern kingdom. And Judah, while they have good kings, still are filled with idolatry. They worship God, but they worship other gods as well. There's a, there's a tension in their life. They're, they're trying to figure out how to live amongst the culture around them. They're not super faithful to God. It's a little, little bit like our present context, right? And so that's, that's, the, that's where we're at. And so Isaiah lives in Judah. Now, it, it says he lists off these kings, Uzziah, uh, to Hezekiah. So we know that the timeline is somewhere between 791 to 687. We can get into the uh, where that comes from, but basically all of this, and if you, if you want to do more than the one chapter a day, you can go in and you can read in, uh, let's see, was it 2 Kings? I got it written down here. 2 Kings chapter 14 through 20, and then 2 Chronicles chapters 26 through 32. That's the parallel historical accounts of these kings and Isaiah's in the mix, and he's talking to them and, and prophesying to them, and then we have Isaiah's prophecy. So all of those are together, and so you can go back and read that in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles. This book is broken up into three sections, and honestly, um, if you want, you can go in, and, and uh, if you ever look for Tim Mackey's Bible Project, I'll, I'll post it on our, our family page. Um, it's pretty good. He walks through everything. He does those visual drawings of the Bibles, and uh, it's, it's good, and he'll talk about this breakup, and it's basically from chapters 1 through 39 is Isaiah prophesying to Judah, hey, heads up, things are going to get bad before they get worse. Your, your rebellion is going to cause you to go into exile. And so what they're watching while Isaiah is prophesying all of this is Assyria is coming in and just taking over the northern kingdom. And Judah's standing there going, are we next? Inevitably, we're next because Assyria is this massive uh, empire. And so that's where Isaiah is prophesying to them going, change. Change what you're doing. Get rid of these idols. Be faithful to God. And that's what we're going to read in chapters 1 through 39. And then we get to chapters 40 through 54, okay? 40 through 54 is Isaiah prophesying about 100 years later like, prophesying still when he was a, a human, right? Like, I mean, he still is a human, but you know what I mean? Like, when he was living, and he's prophesying 100 years in the future, going, hey, when you are exiles, because you will be exiled, you will go into exile in Babylon. And when you're there, here's what God's saying to you. Here's what you need to know. And so that's what you're going to read in that section. And then at the very end, 55 through 66, is going to be Isaiah going, 150 years from now, when you come out of exile, this is who your God is, and this is what he thinks. So, so Isaiah is prophesying over a span of about 150 to 200 years of history of Israel, talking about the future, saying, this is what is going to happen. It's God's words. All right. Make sure I get all the historical context, so then we can get into the... All right, um, so this morning, we're going to start in verse 2, and we're going to go through verse uh, 20. Um, 
like I said, we're just going to hit wave tops. We're going to hit pieces of this. And what we're going to read this morning is how God sees us, our situation, um, and how he sees us as his children. Um, and he starts off this, and, and it's very clear that in, in God's eyes, we have rebelled against our father. That's, that's, that's how God starts this discussion. He goes, you've rebelled against me. I'm your father, your creator. Look at what it says in verse 2. It says, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Stay there for a second. So this is where God says, I reared you, brought you up, and you rebelled against me. And look what he says in verse 3. He says, the ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Okay, so hopefully I've built this bridge, but when God speaks, the reason why this is preserved for us is because the, he is speaking in context, in time, to Israel, but it also applies to us. And so these are God's words to us, and he says he compares us to an ox and says that we're worse. Because an ox knows its owner, and a donkey knows where its home is. And we, by implication, do not. That's a, that's a rough verse 2 and 3. God starts off and goes, I raised you as my children, and, and you, you, you've gone. You don't even know where your home is. You don't even know who I am. That's where God starts this. He goes, you have rebelled against your father. And then he goes on to say that, that we are estranged from him. Like, we didn't just rebel. We are now estranged. Like, we don't even, we're like estranged children. Like, we don't even talk to him. We're strangers to God. Maybe, maybe you feel like that now. Look what he says in verse 4 through 6. He says, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sin. And the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. This is, we, don't, we don't know. Like we're, we're these lost children, battered and bruised in this world. And we have no father to bind us up. Like we do, we just don't go to him. Because we're estranged. So what do we do, right? You ever, you ever had like one of your kids try to solve a problem when they're young? And like try to 
like, I can solve this, I can fix this, and they just make it worse, right? Or they try to, like, bandage themselves up with duct tape or something, you know, and you're like, this is not helpful. This is, this is how God is, is looking at us. He's like, I, I would bind your wounds. I, w- I would care for you. But you're estranged from me. You don't come to me because you've rebelled. It's pretty clear here that we're not pretty good people. Right? I mean, he says, the whole head is sick. From the sole of our feet. We need to understand this, you guys. Because the good news of Jesus Christ is good news because we understand how lost and depraved we are. If you, don't, if you think you're a pretty good person, then you might not need God. You do need him. Or you might not think you need God. Let me just make sure I'm really clear about this. You don't think you need God. But what he says here is that we are utterly lost, depraved, laden with iniquity, covered in sin from head to toe. This isn't. This isn't intended to be a guilt trip. This is intended for it to be a reality check. We, I was sharing with the youth last night. Was there, we were talking about like what inhibits us from going and proclaiming the gospel. And I told him, I said, I think one of the, the, the clearest indicators that there is a God and that I need him is that I don't do the things I want to do and I do the things I don't want to do. And Paul says that very clearly, right? And I think we can all agree that that's how life goes. I want to do things, and I just, I want to do the right things. I want to do the, abstractly, I want to do it, but I just can't make it happen for whatever reason. And I don't want to do things, and I hate these things, and then I, I do them. That's sin. That's our sinful nature. And you can't fix it. You'll never fix it. Ask anybody in here. It doesn't matter their age. In fact, as they get older, probably you're gonna, they're going to say, yep, that's true. When you're younger, you're probably like, yeah, I think I'm pretty good. And so this is what he declares. So then he says in verse 7, and he talks about Assyria taking over the northern kingdom. He says, your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion, now let me just stop here for a second. When he says the daughter of Zion, he's talking about Zion is like, is Jerusalem. It's the mount. It's the, it's the holy mount of where the temple was. Like, this is a, a high position. So when he says, you're the daughter of Zion, he's talking about this, this prestigious place. He says, the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Okay, let me explain that for a second. These booths are like just shacks. And in fact, uh, we can go into some of the, uh, the Feast of Booths and stuff like that for Jewish uh, celebrations and stuff. But, but basically, it was just a, a thing that just kind of covered you from the sun and allowed you to work out there. And And so what he's saying is, you went from this high place, this amazing place, the daughter of Zion, the holy mount, and now you're in a field. 
And he says, why will you be struck down? Why do you continue to rebel? He says, if the Lord of hosts, in verse 9, had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God. And so what he says here is, like, God has, has saved some. There's a remnant. Thank God there was, because otherwise we wouldn't be here. These next verses are going to be a little challenging. We pretend like everything's okay. Read what he says from verse 11 to 15. He says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? Says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Okay, let me, let me just give you a little context here, right? So in, in, in Israel, in the Jewish system, they had to present sacrifices frequently all the time. This was, this was their worship. This was, this was their Sunday morning service, right? Like they would come in to worship God by giving these sacrifices and to, and to ask for forgiveness of these sins. And so they would put their sins on these animals and sacrifice them and go, hey, the, the sins are gone from me for a little bit. And then I need to get another one. And so the, it became this system of worship. And he says, verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Underline that. What God is saying here is, is that when they would come in to do the things that were worshipful things, he despised them. Because they were fake. Because they were rote. Because they were just the things that you did on a Sunday morning. It wasn't Sunday for them, but it is for us, right? He says, it's fake. Why are you coming in here? Why are you coming in here? Why are you here? Are you here to worship God? Are you here because you get to catch up with friends? Because if this is a social club, you can go find Rotary or a garden club somewhere. That's not what God intends us to do. When we walk in these doors, this is an opportunity for community worship. Every word that's coming out of our mouth, right? Like when we're singing, we're singing praises. Like we're, we're speaking words of praise to God. It's worship. It's not here to scratch an itch. It's not here. My words up here are not because I want you to be a better person. This isn't self-help. This is worship of God. We are reading the very words of God. And if, and if I'm in the middle of that, then I, I want to be out of, out of it. Because this is between you and God. 
And so he condemns the Jews. And he's like, do you understand that you're faking it? You've rebelled, you're estranged, and you come skipping in to service going, yeah, it's okay. He says, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Now, let me, let me be really clear about this. What he's not saying is you need to be perfect to come to church. It's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that we ought not to be pursuing sin in our lives. We need to be killing sin before it kills us, right? Like, like we need to hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. And, and that, that's the heart condition that comes in and worships God. Don't think you can come in here enjoying your sin and worship God at the same time. God's not dumb. He knows your heart. I, I may not know your heart. Other people may not know your heart. You may put on a great face, but God knows. Verse 14, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. He's talking about like the, the celebrations, food and, and fun and worship and songs. He says, I hate them. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. <sighs> you guys. He says, when you spread out your hands in worship, that's what he's talking about, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. My hands are full of blood. He's not a slot machine. We don't just do the right things and an ATM can require baptism. We don't just do the right, do certain things, lift up our hands, say some prayers, and expect everything to be all right. We've rebelled against our Father. We're estranged from our Creator. And we're pretending like it's all okay. It's not okay. We need Him. We need him to reconcile us. James 3.10 talks about just this. He says, out of the same mouth come cursings and blessings. How, how can this be? And he says, brothers, this ought not to be so. And don't, don't think of this as specifically you know, James is talking about using your words and all that stuff, but it, but it goes into our whole life, right? Like, like our lives are either for us or for God. Pick. That's it. There's no third option. Your life is either for yourself or it's for God. And if it's for yourself, it's in rebellion and you'll be estranged. And you'll have no one to bind up your wounds. But if it's for God, he will reconcile you. He will bind your wounds. He will heal you. He will give you peace and contentment and joy like you cannot even imagine now and in the future. And in eternity. Because he's our father. And he loves us. And he cares for us. So in verse 16, he says, stop pretending and start pursuing. 
He says, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. read for you Ezekiel chapter 36 and if you you got plenty of note space in those Bibles so you can write this in here he says clean yourself up so is is God saying that that we can do something that we can solve our predicament no he's not in fact in Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25 he says I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus does for us. This is why it's good news, because because he has to do it. So, then what of this in Isaiah? Do we just sit back and wait for God to do everything? No, because it's relationship. Right? If you want to be reconciled to somebody, you have to want to be reconciled to them. And that means that you're going to clean, wash yourself, you're going to pursue, you're going to learn to do good. And what what does he say? He's like, and then you're going to go. You're going to seek justice. You're going to fight against oppression, right? Like, he correlates this straight into very practical things in this world that we can all relate to. I've been, I've been, I've been battling whether I was going to bring this up, and I am now because I'm, I'm committed. Um, <laughs> Russia and Ukraine. I don't talk politics. But 70% of Russians and 70% of Ukrainians are Christians. There are men and women pulling triggers. And Jesus Christ is our Savior. You guys get that? Forget the politics. Pray for them. Thank God I never had to. But that's this is this is Christians fighting against Christians, you guys. And again, whatever the politics are, it doesn't matter. I mean, what, you know, it's a different conversation. For us, what are we praying for? Pray for them. Pray for them. Oh, that peace would come at the foot of the cross. What a glorious way. Not some political treaties, but by Christians forgiving and showing grace and laying down their weapons. This last part shows us our God in a way that that I think is is Incredibly beautiful. In verse 18, 
It's going to say that um, basically our, our father is going to reason with us. He doesn't just say, do this. He says, let me explain it to you. Sit down. Sit down for a moment. Let's, let's reason together. What a beautiful picture. Verse 18, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. If you are willing and obedient, God says, let's talk about this. Do you want to be in rebellion? Do you want to be estranged from me? How's it working for you? But if you're willing, you're willing to come under the authority of Scripture and come under the authority of your Father, he says, I have good things for you. He's not saying you're going to be rich. Let me just be clear about that. He's saying you're going to have peace. And you're going to have joy. And you're going to be reconciled to your father. How do, how do our sins go from scarlet to white as snow? How, how do we become cleansed? That's the good news. That's through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to turn over to 1 John or write it in your Bibles there. First John 1, 7. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the promise. This is our God. This is just some aspects of how our God thinks about us. And I want us to spend the next eight weeks just thinking about that. What does God think? What does God think about my life? What does God think about me? Because I can tell you he loves you. He sees himself as your father. But he sees us as living in rebellion. Unless we confess and turn to him. And, and, and become willing and obedient and say, God, I don't have the power to do this on my own. I can't conquer the sin. I, I've tried. He says, I know. I'll conquer it for you. This is our God. He loves us. And he's rescued us through his son. Praise God that he has. Because we are a wreck. Aren't we? And that's why it's good news. Let me pray.